It's good to be back at uh, Thomas Road Baptist Church. How many of you have never heard me speak? Hold up your hand. Wow. Oh, my. So I wasn't going to give my story today, but that's a lot of people. And I know some of you have heard my story so many times you could give it for me. And, uh, but I really think that's what I should do. It's Veterans Day. I was going to go a totally different direction, but I, I do want to uh, do what's right. Pastor Jonathan Falwell, thank you for letting me be here. I've been wanting to come back here for a long time, and I called Pastor Jonathan and tell him I wanted to come. He said, said, Tim, you're just not ready yet. And I'd call him back, and I'd call him back a few months later, and, and same thing. Tim, you're just not ready yet. So finally, I called him a few months ago. I said, look, Jonathan, I'll come for free. He said, Tim, you're ready now. <laughs> that didn't happen. No evangelist in the world would do that. <laughs> but it is an honor to be back at Thomas Road. I've actually been coming here since about 1985. I believe it was the first time I was here at the Old Time Gospel Hour and, and started preaching at the um, Super Conference. And, uh, and Dr. Falwell was one of my heroes. Loved that guy. And, uh, and I love this guy, uh, Jonathan and Sherry Falwell, some of God's choice people. And uh, you are blessed, and you already know that, but don't ever take it for granted and always be appreciative of what God has sent to you. My family, some of my family's with me this morning. My wife, uh, Connie, my, our oldest daughter, Jana, and her husband, Steve, and Sarah Beth. Stand up over here, guys. Let the folks meet you. These folks right here to kind of turn around a little bit so they can see you. And all the way from Texas. And uh, uh, Steve is a a police officer in Richardson, Texas, and then Sarah Beth, our youngest granddaughter, started school here in January. She is so pumped up and so fired up and so excited. So we uh, came out and did a couple of uh, Veterans uh, Day events. We've, I think we've done like six so far uh, in the past week, and then we've got one on Tuesday in uh, the Dallas area, and then we'll wrap them up. But I always love Veterans Day, and I always am appreciative of churches that respect and, and show love uh, for our veterans, those who are willing to put on a uniform. Everyone that is serving right now in our military, they're voluntary. Nobody has been drafted. Every single one of them, they're by choice because they wanted to. A lot of uh, men my age uh, were drafted in the Vietnam War, and uh, after the Vietnam War, then the draft was done away with and hasn't been reinstated. Uh, but um, the, I think about all the sacrifices, the prices that have been made. I mentioned in the convo on Friday, uh, my dad was uh, going to the Great uh, Great uh, Lakes Naval Station near Chicago. Grandma and Grandpa Lee was taking him to the train station to go. And, and then they, uh, when they got there, they got a telegram that their oldest son had been uh, killed, shot down over Italy. And... Uh, so you imagine Grandma and Grandpa Lee taking their next oldest son to go to war. They just get word that their oldest son is being killed. And uh, Tom Brokaw rightfully called them the uh, greatest generation. And, uh, and then the, uh, the Korean veterans, I think sometimes they are the forgotten veterans, uh, uh, the unsung heroes that we don't hear a lot about. But what happened there was they went, they did their job. Uh, uh, over 38,000 Americans were killed in Korea, and uh, but they came back. There were no, uh, there was no fanfare. There were no uh, ticker uh, parades. There was uh, 
There was no, there was nothing made about it on television, the six o'clock evening news, nothing said about it. They came back, they went and got a job, they saluted the flag, they got married, raised a family. They just felt like they had done the duty that their country had asked them to do. And then, of course, the Vietnam War, and uh, over 58,000 Americans died in, in the South Vietnam and uh, that region, and uh, such sacrifice and prices were paid. And back in America, uh, uh, there were such uh, horrible war protests and uh, so many things going on against the war and such a divided uh, nation back in those days. And uh, But yet, again, great sacrifices that were made. Uh, my friend Cleve McClary in a firefight lost one of his arms, his eye, and has had close to 40 surgeries. Dave Reaver throwing a, getting ready to throw a phosphorus grenade, a, a sniper round hits it and blows off half of his face. He should have been killed instantly. And... Um, and has had almost 60 surgeries. He just had another surgery not too long ago, still correcting some of the problems that happened over 50 years ago. And the prices were paid. Then the younger generation that we certainly want to honor and respect, these young men and women alike have paid, paid such a great price. Some of them four and five and six, seven, eight, nine tours of duty. Some even more than that in Iraq and Afghanistan, the Gulf War. And uh, I saw things that... 18, 19, 20-year-olds should never, ever have to see and went through things they should have never had to go through because our country called upon them to go, and they went. And so I would like for all the veterans, if you wouldn't mind standing for just a moment, let's see who all the veterans are, if you're standing, uh, and, and those that are serving right now as well. These are the heroes here in the building today. Yeah. So I just wanted to see you myself, guys and ladies. Thank you so much. Wow. You, you may be seated. We was in uh, uh, Plano, Texas, Thursday, and a 102-year-old World War II veteran. Uh, didn't, didn't look 102 years old at all, but he was 102 years old. I served uh, in World War II. Take your Bibles, if you would, to the book of the Revelation, chapter number 12. The book of the Revelation, chapter number 12. And uh, I'm going to talk to you about my story. But then in doing that, I'm going to also talk to you just a little bit about your story as well. We've already heard a story from the platform uh, this morning. And um, everybody, everybody has a story. This book that I hold in my hand is full of stories all through the Bible uh, of men and women of remarkable stories. It all started with Adam. Did you men ever stop to think what it would have been like to have been Adam? Adam had a wife and never had a mother-in-law. That's a story. But Adam had a story. Noah had a story. Abraham and Moses, Joshua, Isaac had stories. David and Daniel. And Shadrach had stories, Elijah, and Samson, Jonah, Nehemiah, Stephen, and, and John, and Zacchaeus, and Peter, and Paul. All through the Bible, as a matter of fact, there's a whole chapter in the book of Hebrews we oftentimes refer to as the faith chapter. And in that chapter, there is one man after the other listed there because of their great faith stories. But did you know that right in the middle of all these great men, there's a woman 
uh, listed by the name of Rahab. You know what Rahab was? Rahab was a prostitute. Rahab was a harlot. And yet there comes a day in her life when she too puts her faith and her trust in God. And God thinks so much of her faith that he puts her in the faith chapter. I'm talking to someone right now and you feel like you've blown it. And you've messed up and you shipwrecked and you're thinking there's no way that I can have a story. But I've got good news for you. Two things. Number one, you're in this room right now and you're breathing air. You're alive. And number two. My God is a God of a second chance. And sometimes a third and sometimes even more than that. When you go out to the cemetery and you see a headstone, there's enough information. We know something about the person that is buried in that particular spot. We know their name, of course. And then maybe there's something about their military career or maybe a favorite Bible verse. Perhaps something about their family. But then there's always the dates. There's the date that the person was born, and then there's the date that the person died. But ladies and gentlemen, young people, more important than the two dates, in between the dates, is the little dash. And it's what's on your dash that matters the most. What happened from the time that you took your first breath to the moment that you took your last breath, that's your story. I was raised in a I was raised in a pastor's home. Well, look, look at Revelation chapter 12 first. Why don't you see this? Because I'm going to tie it in at the very end of my story in just a moment. So let me read verse number uh, 7, Revelation chapter 12, and begin at verse number 7. And there was war in heaven. This is the first war. It's going to be a last war in chapter 19, the war that end all wars. But this is the first one. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon fought in his angels. And prevail not. And neither was the place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of, of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Now the question is, how would they overcome the accuser? And an even more pertinent question for us here today on November the 13th, 2022 is how are we going to overcome the accuser? Two ways. Two ways that we overcome the accuser. And here it is in verse number 11. Are you ready? And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. What's your story? I was raised in a, in a pastor's home. My father, a Southern Baptist pastor, for, for almost 60 years, six full decades of pastoring and preaching God's word. My mom, the godliest woman I've ever known in my life. So she was a pastor's wife for almost 60 years. And uh, there were five of us children, and, and my dad worked hard, one of the hardest working men I've ever known in my life. There were times when he worked three jobs. He was a bivocational pastor. He drove a school bus in the morning and the afternoon, and they roofed houses during the day. Hard, hard labor, hard work. And uh, just to put food on our table to feed a family of seven, 
We live in maybe a thousand square foot home with one bathroom. You imagine on Sunday morning, seven people getting ready to go to church. There's one bathroom. And um, we were poor, but we didn't really know that we were poor. And uh, you know what you do when you're, when you're raised in a pastor's home? You know what you do? You go to church. You go to church all the time. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, revivals, vacation, Bible school, conferences. You go to church all the time. And you want to know something? That didn't hurt us a bit. Parents, it's a good thing to have your children in church. The world has got everything to offer for your children. And somehow we think if we give God an hour, hour and a half on Sunday morning, we've done him a big favor. Our children need to be in church. They need to hear the word of God. They need to be trained and taught. But you want to know something else? We got the Word of God at home. It's great for your children to be taught in, in Sunday school and a WANA program or even a Christian academy. But it's not their primary responsibility to teach your children the Bible. It is your responsibility to teach your children the Word of God. And that's the kind of home that I was raised in. When I was only 10, the most important thing that would ever happen in my life happened on a Sunday morning in January. North City Baptist Church, North City, Illinois. Sunday morning, sitting on the second row on the right-hand side. And that morning, I got under conviction. Best I can explain conviction to you is it's when God himself comes to you personally and begins to speak to you about big stuff like life and death and heaven and hell and eternity. And, and, and if conviction comes to you, especially in a setting like we're in right now, you're probably the most miserable person in the room. You'd like for the preacher just to shut up. No more singing. Somebody get me out of here. But friend, if conviction was to come to you today while I'm speaking, you know what you ought to do? You ought to thank God for it. You know what it means? It means God loves you. It means this one true and holy God wants to have a personal relationship with you. It means he wants you to spend all of eternity with him in this awesome place called heaven. And on a Sunday morning in January, as a 10-year-old boy, conviction came to my life. I was really bad shape when the invitation began. All I could see was hell. Someone said, well, you shouldn't get saved just to stay out of hell. Well, maybe not, but that's not a bad reason to get saved. And I left my seat and knelt. My mom came and knelt beside me as a 10-year-old boy. I repented of my sins, received Christ as my Savior, and I got born into the family of God. And I'm here to tell you that is the greatest thing that has ever happened in my life. And if you've been saved, that is the greatest thing that has ever happened in your life. Now, if you've never been saved, I've got to tell you up front today, your life is incomplete. You may be the richest person in this building today. You may have more money than all the rest of us put together. But if you don't know Jesus, then your life is incomplete. You may be the smartest. You may be the most educated person in this room. But if you don't know Jesus, your life is incomplete. You may be the strongest man in this county. You may be the most beautiful woman in this county. But if you don't know Jesus, your life is incomplete. Today... You need Jesus. I was excited, told my family and friends what had happened in my life. But then when I became a teenager, something else happened in my life. It never happened overnight, but rather gradually, I started putting things before God. Football, basketball, baseball, track and field. My dad told me, Tim, there's nothing wrong with you playing ball unless you put it before God. I didn't want to listen to that. And little by little putting these things before God in my life, I begin to have problems. I begin to rebel. I rebel to school. I rebel against God. I rebel against my parents. 
You say, Tim, what did your parents do when you rebelled? They'd never heard of, of Dr. Spock and his child psychology. He thought that if a child was frustrated, whatever it took to get the frustration out, let him do it. If he wanted to pick up a rock and throw it through the window, if that would help him get his frustration out, let him throw the rock through the window. Well, my dad had other ways of getting that frustration out. We lived on a farm for a while and there was a willow tree behind the farmhouse. And I don't know whether you know what willow trees are good for or not, but you don't get any fruit off of them. They're not a good shade tree. The only thing they're good for is to get a switch off of. The only praying I did back then was for that tree to die and it never did die. I'd have to go out and get my own switch. Man, I'd be hurting before I got back. They would always talk to us before they spanked us. And they'd they'd say something like this. Tim, this is going to hurt me a whole lot worse than it's going to hurt you. I thought, isn't that dumb? If you give me that switch, I'll show you who it's going to hurt the worst. But they believed in old-fashioned discipline. But many times I would slip out behind their back to do what I wanted to do. I set records in the long jump, the hurdles, the high school. I tend to win ribbons and medals, but all the time getting further and further away from God. You say, Tim, what did God do? God declares in Revelation chapter 3, verse 19, as many as I love. God said these words, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Five of my high school friends were killed in car wrecks. Every time I would see one of them in a casket, I knew it could have been me. But God would speak to my heart, but I wouldn't listen. I graduated from high school, started college of the day, working nights, but my life became one disaster after another. I didn't think it could get any worse, but I ended up getting kicked out of college. I got fired from my job. Nowhere to go, nothing to do, and again, my life full of confusion. Walking down the street, my hometown, McLeansboro, Illinois, I went by the post office. There was a sign that said, the Marines are looking for a few good men. I didn't know who the rest of them were, but in my big headedness, I went and told that recruiter that I'd found what they were looking for. Now, young people, to be real frank with you, I was tired of living at home. I wanted to change. I wanted something different. I was tired of being told what time to go to bed and what time to get out of bed and how to get my hair cut and what I could do and what I could not do. So I joined the United States Marine Corps. <laughs> Wasn't the most intelligent thing I ever did. They sent me to Paris Island. From Paris Island to ITR, from ITR to engineering school, Camp Lejeune. Yes, I was at Camp Lejeune. How many of you have heard of Camp Lejeune? I drank the water. I don't think it had any effect on me at all, but I'm teasing. And it was there that I received my orders that I was to go to South Vietnam. In South Vietnam, on March the 8th, 1971, I was leading my men on a minesweep. I had been on many, many minesweeps. The only thing particularly different of this one is that some of my men were fairly new in Vietnam. The only training that some of them had was what they got back in the States. And so that morning, I got my men together and told them I would walk point. Point man was the first man in the squad, 15, 20 meters, another Marine, 15, 20 meters, and another Marine. And we'd be staggered out in that kind of formation. Normally, I would have been in the back of the squad with the radium of the corps of the lieutenant to try to be a hero or anything like that, showing especially the new men about walking point. 
We walked that morning without any trouble. We found a couple of rounds. We detonated. We stopped at noon hour to eat. While I was eating, my best friend, Corporal Lee Gore, he and I flew to Vietnam on the same plane. He was a Christian living for God. I was saved, but I was running from God. He asked me if I wanted him to take over his point. He could have very easily have done it. He was as well-trained as I. But for some reason, I told him I would finish the day. And then on tomorrow, he would walk point. We picked up where we left off from. And 45 minutes later, I stepped on a 60-pound mine. It blew me several feet into the air. It ripped both of my legs off of my body. I should have been killed instantly. It was a big enough mine to destroy a jeep. We had entered a major minefield. The very exact moment that I stepped on a mine, a South Korean Marine that was serving with us stepped on a mine and lost one of his legs. A a bulldozer driver set his blade down on a mine. And now there's noise and smoke and chaos and confusion, and I'm in extreme pain. I was only unconscious for a couple of moments. I looked up in the midst of all that was going on around me, and my head was laying in the lap of my best friend, Corporal Ligor. He wasn't cussing the president or the Vietnamese or no one else, but rather a tear streaming down his face, tears running and running down his face, praying and asking God to help me. And that day I prayed. I wanted to live. I didn't want to die. I don't, I don't remember the exact words that day, but I begged God to let me live and get back home to mom and dad. And if he had let me live, I'd do with my life what he wanted me to do. Well, I've made so many promises to God on so many other occasions, but I never meant it like I meant it that day. They carried me to the hospital ship, the USS Sanctuary. Second day I was there, a couple of doctors basically gave up hope, thinking that I wasn't going to make it because of the seriousness of my wounds and the infection and the high degree temperature and so many other complications. God had a plan for my life. I lay on the hospital ship for two weeks. They took me to the island of Guam where I spent the next two weeks unconscious most of that time. I weighed 187 pounds before I was hit. The island of Guam, I weighed a little less than 80 pounds. During that first four week, mom, four weeks, mom and dad received visits from the Marines, the Red Cross, and numerous telegrams from, from all that they had been told. They didn't think they'd ever see the oldest son alive again. But God had a plan for my life. They brought me back to the States, to the Philadelphia Naval Hospital, where I spent the next eight months, eight long months, surgery after surgery after surgery. When the doctors were finished, the surgeries were over, I had three inches remaining on my right leg, 11 inches on my left, but no other part of my body was hurt. Now, some would tell us today that it was nothing more than an accident, but I remind you, friend, that with God, there are no accidents God was not asleep on March the 8th, 1971. You see, as a 10-year-old boy, I said yes to Jesus Christ. But then as a teenager, I decided that I could live my own life. And I made a choice, a deliberate choice to run. And I ran and ran and ran until March the 8th, 1971, when the running was over. I went home from the hospital to my dad's church in southern Illinois. I was the prodigal son come home. I went forward and publicly asked them to forgive me. And of course they did. It was in that church that I met Connie. We fell in love with each other and were soon married. God's given us three wonderful children, six awesome grandchildren. Our granddaughter Allie is in heaven. We have a hope. We know we will see her again soon, someday. It wasn't long after Connie and I were married that God called me to preach. Imagine that. A Marine in a wheelchair with no legs, and God's calling me to preach. 
family and even friends tried to discourage me. They said it'd be so hard, so difficult. But I said, if that's what God wants me to do, that's what I'll do. I pastored for five years in Southern Illinois. Now I'm a 45th year as an evangelist. I preached in every state and many, many foreign countries preaching God's word. And I'm going to tell you now, like I've said it so many times, the past 51 plus years of my life have absolutely been the happiest years of my life. He said, but Tim, you're in a wheelchair. Your legs are gone. Yes, but today, right now, I'm in the will of God. And that, my friend, makes all the difference in the world. Here's how the book of Job says that. Chapter 5 and verse 17. Happy is the man whom God correcteth. Tim, are you telling us that God would do something like that to a person? God doesn't necessarily do things to us. He does things for us because he loves us, because he cares for us, and because we are his children. Hey, you're saved today, but you're out of the will of God. You're running from God. I plead with you. I beg you, don't leave the doors of this building today until you get it right with God. And then there may be a great number of people listening to my voice right now. And you've never been saved. Your life has never, ever been changed by the power of God. I'm getting ready to say right now the most important words that I would have said here today. Don't let anything or anyone interrupt what is about to be said right now. Here it is. Are you ready? A little over 2,000 years ago, God sent his only son to this earth. God didn't have 20 sons. God didn't have two sons. God had one begotten son, Jesus Christ. He came to this earth born of a virgin, and he lived here on this earth for nearly 33 sinless, spotless years. He did no wrong. And then one day, he walks up Calvary's hill, willingly lays down his life for your sins and for my sins and for the sins of the whole world. He hangs on an old rugged cross, suspended between heaven and earth. And on that cross, he sheds his blood. And on that cross, he dies. God's only son died. They took him off of that cross. And they carried him and they put him in a borrowed tomb. And ladies and gentlemen and young people right here, among other things, is what separates Christianity from every single religion on the face of the earth. For if you were to go to the place where they put the body of Jesus, you wouldn't find him. He's not there. On the third day, he got up from the grave, victorious over sin, victorious over death, victorious over hell. And today, God's son is alive. Hey, that's the good news. Here's the great news. He wants to come and live in your life. You say, Tim, how does that happen? How does God's son come and live in my life? You come to this place. We're not necessarily talking about the geographical location of Thomas Road. We're, we're talking about this moment, this time, this place in your life right now. To understand in the sight of this holy God that you're a sinner. The Bible says so. We've all sinned. Every one of us have sinned and come short of God's glory. And it's our sin that separates us from the, uh, uh, from this holy God. It's our sin that keeps us from being right with God. And it is our sin that would separate us from God forever in a horrible place called hell. Except for the fact that a price was paid for our sin. God's only son paid that price. And today if you're willing to repent of your sin, if you're willing to turn from your sin 
and turn to Jesus. Listen to this. The very moment that you by faith say yes to Jesus. What are you saying yes to? To the cross. To the blood that was shed. To the death that was died. And then you're saying yes to an empty tomb. To a risen Savior. When you you begin by faith to say yes to Jesus. At that moment. You become God's child. Forever. Wouldn't you like to know that when you die. That you would spend all of eternity with God. In this beautiful place called heaven. You say, well, Tim, I'm not planning on dying anytime soon. And I don't imagine any of us are planning it. But I tell people all the time, you don't have to go to heaven. And you don't have to go to hell. But you can't stay here. You're going to spend eternity in heaven or in hell. And it all depends upon what you do with Jesus. I want you to bow your heads this morning. I'm going to ask that no one move, no counselors, no workers, no pastors, just those that are going to come and sing and lead us in our invitation time. Would you draw an imaginary circle around yourself right now in your mind, just you and me and God, I'm going to ask you something right now. No one's going to embarrass anyone. No one's going to intimidate anyone in any form or fashion. But I want you to be honest. Maybe for the first time in a long time, being real honest. How many in this room today would say, Tim, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I know that if I were to die in this seat where I'm at, if I were to die in the next four minutes, if EMT was to come in this room and officially pronounce me dead, I know that I would go to heaven. I remember the day when conviction came to my life and I too repented of my sins and received Jesus Christ as my own personal Savior. I'm saved and I'm not the least bit ashamed of it. Let me see your hands today. Hold them up high. Hold them up high. Oh, what a sign. Oh, what a sign. You can take them down. Christian friend, don't ever be ashamed or embarrassed for a preacher to ask you that question and for you to give testimony. If you can't give testimony at church, where would you ever hope to give testimony? There were some who could not raise your hands. And can I tell you right now that I appreciate you being honest? You could have raised your hand when others did. I would not have known the difference. But you would have. And God would have. And in just a moment, I want you to let me pray for you. But before I do that, I want to talk to all those that raised your hands. Continuing to be honest, how many would say, Tim, I know I'm saved. I know I'm a Christian. But I also know there's some things in my own life that are not right with God. There's some things in my own life the Lord is not pleased with. And Tim, I don't want to run from God. I don't want to be out of the will of God. Pray for me today that I could have these things right between me and God. Let me see your hands today. Hold them high. There are hands, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hands raised all over this building. Wow. You can take them down. I'm going to give you the invitation today that I give somewhere across America nearly every Sunday of the year. Sometimes 10 or 12,000, sometimes 150 or less. In a moment, we're going to sing one verse of invitation. We may possibly sing two, but that would definitely be all. And I'm going to ask every single one of you that just now raised your hand, if you were serious and you were not playing games with God, that when, we, when I have you stand, that you immediately begin to leave your seat 
And then I want you to come and stand right here in front of me today. Oftentimes we kneel. I'm going to ask you to do it different today. I'm going to ask you to come and stand as close to the center here as possible. Facing me, we're going to pray together. God's going to do something in your life here today. You're afraid to come by yourself? Ask someone to come with you. Someone in the rows in your way, nudge them. They'll move over. They may be wanting to come as well. And you'll be an inspiration for them to come. Now right before we sing, the most important question. Where will you spend eternity? Where will you spend eternity? You see, friend, you not only have a soul, you are a soul. You're going to live forever in heaven or in hell. Nobody's going to embarrass you. No one's going to intimidate you at all. But do you care enough today about yourself and where you're going to spend eternity to release enough pride to let this evangelist pray for you today? How many in the building would say, nobody's looking but me and God would say, Tim, the truth of the matter is, I'm not 100% for sure. If I were to die right now, that I would go to heaven. And I certainly don't want to go to hell. And I want you to include me in that prayer. Let me see your hands today. Hold them up high. Hold them up high. Hold them up high. Numbers and numbers and numbers of hands. Wow. Wow. You can take them down. Down below and up above. Listen to me. This can be the greatest day of your whole life. If you do today what God wants you to do. There's going to be tons and tons of people coming to stand here. Christians, I'm asking you to set the example. I'm asking you to be the first. Remember, one verse, maybe two from the back, and it'll take you longer from the back, but we'll wait. But you need to come as soon as I have you stand. You begin to move quickly to the nearest aisle and come and stand here today. Would you stand to your feet, everyone that's able to stand? And my friends, begin to sing. Come on right now. Come quickly. No hesitation. Come fast. Right now, if you were serious, come right here to the front. Counselors, workers, come and stand right here. Come on, if you were serious, come quickly today. Just come and face me right here. Come on, Dad. Come on, Mom. Come on, teenagers. Come on, young ladies.
pastors are praying this place very, very quietly. I want everyone to be able to hear me. So just perhaps the keyboard for a moment, very quietly. I don't want to lose the spirit of this moment. There's nothing more important going on in the state of Virginia than what's happening right here, right now. I promise you that. We've got another service coming up, but I can't rush this. It's too important. So please listen carefully. There are two vital parts to this invitation. And we're going to deal with the absolute most important part first. If you've never been saved, if your life has never been changed by the power of God, we're not talking about being a Baptist, a Methodist, Lutheran, Church of Christ, Assembly of God, Catholic. We're not talking about being baptized. We're not talking about living a good, clean, moral life. We're talking about your life being changed by God. A day in your life when conviction came to you. If you're not 100%, say, Tim, I'm about 90% for sure I'm a Christian. I wouldn't hurt you for anything. But friend, if you're 90% for sure you're saved, you're 100% lost. There's no way you could ever chance 10% that you would be separated from God forever and ever. So this is your day. Here at the front or there in your seat. In just a moment, I'm going to pray out loud what we oftentimes refer to as a sinner's prayer. And if you want to be saved today, and you're serious, you're not playing church, here at the front or there in your seat, then when I pray this prayer out loud, I want you to pray it in your heart. Understand before you do that the, that the words themselves don't save you. It's not you repeating religious words. You come to this place in your life to confess that you're a sinner. You know you cannot save yourself. You're turning to the one who died for you, the one who arose from the grave for you, Jesus Christ. You're not praying to Evangelist Tim Lee. You're not praying to Pastor Johnson Falwell or any other man in this room or any other man on this earth. You're praying to the Lord. So wherever you're at in this room right now, if you're not 100% for sure, if you were to die right now, you would go to heaven. This is your time. I'll pray out loud. You pray in your heart. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. And I know my sins can separate me from you forever. But today, I want to be saved. God, please forgive me of all my sins. Wash me as white as snow. Make me your child. Right now, this very moment, I am trusting Jesus Christ and Him alone as my Lord and my Savior. Take me to heaven when I die, for I am now your child. Our heads are still bowed. No one's looking but myself, the pastors, and the Lord. If you just now prayed that prayer in your heart, here at the front or there in your seat, if you prayed that prayer today and you meant it with your whole heart, no one else looking, Tim, I prayed that prayer with you just now. Let me see your hands. Hold them up high. 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 Wow. All over this room, numbers and numbers and numbers and numbers and numbers of hands. You can take them down. There's so many, friend, I could not take the time. I would usually count, but there were so many. I don't want anybody else to look. Just those that raised your hand. No one else. Just those that raised your hand. Look right up here at me for just a moment. There's a whole bunch right over here. Right down here. Right back over here. Right. It's all over the room. Up above. 
all over the building, just those that raised your hand, no one else, those that raised your hand, look right up here at me. That is the most important prayer you'll ever pray in your entire life. On November the 13th, 2022, at 8, at 20, at 18 minutes till 11, I want you to remember that. You said yes to Jesus Christ. And the very moment that you by faith said yes, you became God's child forever. Every sin that you've ever committed is gone. You think right now what you might believe to be the worst sin you've ever committed in your life? God does not remember it. Hey, wait a minute. How do we overcome the accuser in Revelation 12? By the blood of the Lamb. Your sins are washed away by the blood of the Lamb. Never ever to be remembered against you. And now, now you have a story. Now you get to start putting good stuff on your dash. If God gives you... 24 hours or 24 years or more you get to start putting good stuff on your day but this is your day this is the moment this is the time you get to tell your family and your friends that on november the 13th veterans day weekend thomas road baptist church i gave my heart to jesus christ and god saved me you say how do i know i'm in it when i pray with you tim i'm going to tell you a foolproof way you won't be ashamed of it and the fact that you're looking at me right now, the fact that you raised your hand a while ago, says you're not ashamed of it. Pastor, I'm going to ask you to trust me today. We do this all the time anymore. So here's what I want you to do. I'm going to estimate there were 70 or 80, maybe far more than that, who raised your hand. When you get back to your seat, I want you to find a piece of paper. It doesn't matter what kind of paper. There's probably something in the back of the rack in front of you. Maybe it's a connect card or something, a bulletin, but it doesn't matter. Just find a piece of paper. Once you write your name and address and phone number and email. And then I want you and make it legible so we can read it. And then I want you to write one word about two or three times larger than your name. I want you to write the word saved. S-A-V-E-D. I love that word. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. When I'm through here, my family and I are going to go out to the Grand Lobby area and we're going to be at our table. I want every one of you that just now raised your hand to bring that piece of paper to me. I'm going to make sure Pastor Jonathan gets them, but to keep everything going the same direction, I want every one of you to bring them to me. Keep things going the right way. You can bow your heads. Yes, there's cards. The workers will have cards down here, but they'll have some. We'll lay them out here on the steps when you go back to your seat. You can bow your heads back down. There's one more part of this invitation. There's a ton of people today. And I mean literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hands were raised who said, I know I'm saved, but I've gotten away from God. I've let things come between me and the Lord. For some of you, maybe it's a little thing, but little things go to bigger things. And some of you, like Tim Lee, at 18, 19 years of age, a life so messed up and so far away from God, and today you're coming home. I'm going to pray out loud. I want you to pray in your heart. You don't have to tell Tim Lee anything, but you do need to tell God and be real. Be transparent. Father, thank you for speaking to hearts. Thank you for these who said yes to Jesus. Their lives will never, ever, ever be the same. This is the greatest day of their life. And then, Lord, for these many who said, I want things to be right between me and God. 
I don't want to run anymore. I don't want to rebel anymore. I want things to be right. Lord, restore the joy. Give back the victory and start a revival fire burning in their heart and in their life. A revival fire that all the demons in hell could never put out. Lord, I want to thank you today for what you've done and for the victories that's been won. In Jesus' name I pray. Let's give these folks a big hand. Let them get back to their seat this morning. Let's give the Lord a big hand in the house of God here today. And for those of you who prayed that prayer, we have individuals that are walking through that have cards that they will hand to you. Just raise your hand or just come and speak. One of these that have their hands up with the cards and grab one of those if you would. And they'll hand them out to you. Folks, if you'll be seated for a moment, I'm going to take a second that I'll get off the platform and let... Pastor, wrap up. When you sat down, I, I'm saying there's probably closer to a hundred who raised your hand. Find that piece of paper. There's some papers down here if you don't have them. But find that piece of paper. Again, it doesn't matter what kind. Name, address, phone number, email, then write the word save real large. And be sure and bring it back to me at the table. I want to shake your hand. I want to hug your neck. Okay, if you look up here for just a moment. We only brought one thing with us today to make available out in the lobby area. And that's our book, Born on the 5th of July. This is my autobiography. We've been so excited about it. The most common phrase that we've heard over and over again, I couldn't put it down. A lot of things that I wouldn't necessarily tell you from the platform, but it's in the book. The books are $20. And here's the good thing. All $20 gets to go back to ministry, especially our ministry to military, to Marines and to military bases that we speak on, our four-color gospel track, Deadline Vietnam. We printed over 2 million copies. So if you already have a copy of this book, get another one to give away to a veteran this weekend. They make great Christmas gifts. If you buy five books, you get the sixth book free. If you buy five more books, you get another book for you. are helping our ministry. And then you're being a blessing to others as well. You put on a credit card. Of course, you can pay cash. You can write a check, make it out to TLM. Thank you for letting me come back to Thomas Road. You've been awesome to speak to. Be much in prayer for this next service. Thank you, Pastor. I want to thank you for joining with us today. If you've never come to the place of recognition in your life of being a sinner and needing a Savior, you can do so right now. Believing that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose again to give you eternal life. Just ask Him to save you today. If you would like to talk further about what it is that God has done for you in the giving of His Son, Jesus, we would love to chat with you about that. I would encourage you to email us at the address that is on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. We would love to connect with you to help you begin a brand new journey with Jesus Christ in your life. And if you would like to help to contribute to our ministry as we take this message of the gospel around the world, go to the link on the screen today and help us help others with the amazing message of God's love. To let them know that God loves them, that Christ died for them, that he rose again. And through Christ, we have hope.